Hi, I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And welcome back to a new episode of Unproblematic. This podcast focuses on two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. Come join us on our podcasting journey. In this episode, we will be discussing voting, past and present, with special guest Luke Roy. Luke is a law student at the University of Iowa, graduating this coming May. Say hey. hi. Yeah, I'm here. All right, so we're going to start with our reads and watches. Um, Ariana, what are you reading and watching right now? Okay, so I'm going to start out with what I'm watching. So what I watched like a month ago or three weeks ago was Antebellum. And it was this movie that was supposed to come out um, before the pan, like during the pandemic, like early pandemic time. And it has Janelle Monet, and it's about like this woman and she's like a successful writer. Um, and she's like at this, this writing conference and selling her book and like, In the trailer, you see her, like, go from, like, past to present, or, like, that's what you think it is, but I'm gonna, like, spoil it a little bit, so, like, if you, I mean, uh, just a little bit, so, like, if you want to watch this movie, just skip forward, like, 30 seconds, but overall, like, this girl, the main character, gets kidnapped, and, like, she gets put as a slave on this plantation in Louisiana, and I was shook because, like, at the end of the movie, you like you you're kind of confused. Like, is it time travel? Like, what's going on? But it turns out like this random old plantation that they used for like Civil War reenactments. Like, they actually like paid people to like go there and act like they were like in the Civil War. So they kidnapped random black people and like tortured them. It was so creepy, but it was a really good movie, um, and it was produced by the same people who produced um, Get Out. That's just what I was going to ask. Yeah, it sounds kind of similar. It wasn't written by Jordan Peele. It was written by um, a woman. I'm, I should have looked her name up. Good. Um, definitely, like, even with me, like, spoiling it a little, like, you're still missing so much because there's so much symbolism behind what's going on. And um, it was a great movie, but what I'm reading right now is um, When No One Is Watching, which is kind of on that same kind of like Jordan Peele kind of creepiness. And it's about this girl who lives in Brooklyn. And like, this is where she was born and raised. And like the area is getting gentrified. And like people she grew up with, people who were like her neighbors and who she like really loved are like disappearing and she doesn't know where they're going. So it's kind of like you like, where are they going? Like mm-hmm. they just didn't get up and disappear, you know, and um, all of these white families are moving into the area and it's just she gets creepy vibes and like this man is trying to like convince her to sell her home and she's like I'm not gonna do it blah 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 but I'm very like I'm in the beginning of the book so I mean I can't spoil too much this is like within the first couple chapters so yes mm, wow Kay- Kaylee what about you um so I'm reading The Human Condition by Hannah Arendt and I'm only like like I think like 50 pages in right now but what I thought was interesting, it was really relevant in like the first couple pages, she mentions that in Greek society, you had to vote um, and you had to participate in general elections or else you lost your citizenship. 
So I just, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and obviously, like, you know, Greek society isn't the model perfectly because it was pretty much only, like, wealthy white men in the polis anyway. But I just thought it was interesting that they put that much value on voting that you would literally lose your citizenship if you didn't participate. So that's what I've been reading so far. Um, And I've been watching a lot of Murder, She Wrote. Because my mom and my grandma really like it. So we've been watching it together. But I always, like, it follows this narrative where I'm, like, watching, sort of paying attention. And then I fall asleep about halfway through. And then I wake up about, like, ten minutes before the ending. And my mom's like, who do you think it is? And I have no idea who any of the characters are. And so it explains that. And <laughs> it just happens over and over again. But I, I like Angela Lansbury. I like her cardigan. So that's kind of why I keep watching it. But anyway. <laughs> Luke, what are you reading and watching? Uh, what I'm reading and watching is a lot more boring than what y'all are reading. Um, I'm still a student, so a lot of my time is getting taken up with uh, coursework and reading for coursework. But I'm in the midst of writing a paper on um, what's called slow violence. Um, it's uh, this idea that there's um, the lingering or lasting impacts of toxic waste, of uh, global warming, of depleted uranium munitions, of of unexploded ordnance that um, can affect communities for years after the invent itself. And so I'm reading this book called um, Slow Violence and the Environmentalism of the Poor uh, by Robert Nixon. And um, the book is really where he develops this this theory of slow violence as compared to spectacular like flashpoint violence. Um, and it's about reframing not only how our, our media narratives look at violence, but also like how our legal systems should address violence. For what I'm watching, uh, I'm, I'm going to be very basic here and say I'm watching The Mandalorian season two. I've uh, been a huge fan of Star Wars for forever. And um, this is the, the next thing that scratches the itch now that the movies are all finished. Nice, cool. And you didn't spoil either of those for us, so that was good. You were able to give a summary without, like, I have no idea what of that Robert Nixon book would be, so, like, that was... I mean, it's a nonfiction book, so uh, the ending is there's now a theory. <laughs> the ending is, you know, hopefully there will be less nuclear war, but, like, you know, you didn't spoil that, so... All right, segment two. Where were you in 2016? Because, like, I don't know about youtube but i've been thinking about where i was four years ago pretty much all day today um and i feel a lot better about it like i don't have as much in stake i think it's kind of sad because like on the one hand um i like i don't believe in our political system as much anymore so i don't have as high expectations um i think that's the only hand that that i was gonna say something positive but i think that's pretty much it i like I just don't have as high hopes anymore, so I feel like I have less room to be disappointed. But, <laughs> Ariana, where were you in 2016? Um, so, and <laughs> Kaylee, you didn't even mention where you were. You just said you lost hope. You're, in, the, uh, you're the first bullet point. I'll talk about it more. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, in 2016, I was a senior in high school, and it was a mess. I went to an all-white high school. I've mentioned this before. And I was thinking, like, there's came to school the next day, and this man won. And I was just, like, so devastated because I remember I went to bed early because I was like, there's no need to watch it. I already know who won, you know? I was... <laughs> I, 
again, I was like, there's no way. So I was, um, I woke up and I'm like, oh no, like, why does my phone have all those notifications? And this girl at my school wore her Hillary Clinton shirt the next day to school. And I remember she went home early. Like, that's how bad it was that she went home early. Like, oh, that is so terrible. Yikes. Yeah. Like, and I, the thing is, like, when I asked people, like, why they were voting for this man, it was not, like, anything that, like, I could even, like, get behind. Like, it was, it was just build the wall, build the wall. And I'm just like, what, what, what? <laughs> America was built on the premise that everyone is welcome. And you were literally saying to build a wall to keep a certain group of people out of our country when in reality we have more um canadians crossing the border illegally than from mexico and honestly like we should welcome all people and i just think building a wall is just a waste of funds and so racist because they're like oh because trump was saying like oh like we need to have restrictions on immigration but then there was literally an interview saying him saying oh, we need, we should have immigrants coming from, like, all these white countries, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, you were just so openly racist in this, like, and I think that's part of the reason why people support him, because he's so openly a garbage person, like, he doesn't hide that he's a trash person, and that's so sad. Yeah, I mean, he's transparent, (laughs) and so people always say, like, I he tells it like it is. Like, ah, uh, well. No. Do you remember in January when he, like, people were, like, joking, like, oh, like, we're on the verge of World War Three. Like, I remember I went to church, and I had, I went to an evangelical church before the pandemic, and I remember I was sitting in the pew, and this man behind me was, like, talking with his, like, old buddies in the church before the service started, and he was, like, oh, Trump has the guts to say what everybody's thinking. And I'm like, everybody is not thinking that, not I. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Yeah. Did that answer your question? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) That was like, um, this is also a side story, but when we went to, I think it was First Assembly, and the guy in front of us leaned forward, and he had that giant Confederate flag on the I shook his hand and I didn't see the tattoo until afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like the Confederate thing at Big in Michigan because it seems fairly far north for that. Um, you would think. You know, okay, but... people, people in this state, like, I mean, I love Michigan. Like, every state has great people, but you know, like, we're practically Canada, and it's crazy how people are like, "This is my heritage." You are practically Canadian. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, this happened so long ago. You guys can't get over the fact that you lost. You lost. And that you are racist. And I'm just, <laughs> it's just so crazy. Like, you paid actual money to get that horrible, ugly flag on your arm forever. I just remember I looked at her. Like, we, we made eye contact in that church. And I was just like, I really shook this man's hand. Yeah, and you find Confederate flags everywhere. Um, See, I would expect I feel like in rural Missouri or Kansas, but not that far north 
Yeah. I feel like there's a difference. People are like, the North is not racist. No, the North is very racist. I'm just saying that people cover it up with a smile, whereas in the South, they don't care. They don't care. Like, everywhere is racist in this country, but I'm just saying that in the North, they'll shake your hand, smile at you, and then act like everything's all right when they really hate your guts. You know they're voting I mean? for someone is openly racist. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, my story is not as, like, dramatic as Ariana's because I was in college. Thankfully, it was my freshman year at SVCU. I was also 100% confident that Hillary was going to win. Um, and so I posted this picture that was something along the lines of, like, trust God, fam, everything's good. <laughs> okay. And then the next day, I was, like, devastated. And obviously, you know, like, trust God, everything's going to be okay. That That, you know, holds true regardless of who won. But I said it with, like, a much happier perspective the night before because I also went to bed early because I was like, it's going to be fine. There's no way. There's no way he's going to win. Like, <laughs> there's just no way. Like, it's like, I don't know. Like, okay, here's what it reminds me of. When I was, like, four, I always said, like, I'm going to write this sequel to Star Wars and I'm going to send it in to George Lucas. And my mom let me believe that. Like, for a very long time, right? But, like, obviously, she never did. And I think I even gave her, like, the stories. And she's like, oh, yep, yeah, gonna mail it in to George Lucas. But, like, obviously, at some point, she didn't mail it in because I was a child. And I wasn't actually gonna write a sequel to Star Wars. I thought there was gonna be someone who <laughs> interceded, like, my mother in that situation. Like, this man is a child. There's no way he can actually undertake a occupation like the United States of America I, I just like where was my mother in that situation or like the the metaphorical equivalent to say like we're not gonna let an infant do this but anyway where were you Luke in 2016 oh goodness that was a lifetime ago I was a, a junior in my undergrad at uh, Wichita State University um, that day we had a debate practice and everyone was like talking about it, um, saying like, oh, yeah, Kansas might go red, but uh, Hillary's going to win the entirety of the election. Uh, and, and no one thought that um, Trump would end up winning. Uh, afterwards, I went back, and I should say, um, my personal politics have changed quite a lot in the past few years, uh, four years, I should say. Um, but I went back and sat in my dorm room with my roommates, um, they were all Hillary supporters. They were all decked out. And I actually had a Make America Great Again hat. Uh, my parents were Trump supporters. I was raised very conservative. I should say my parents are Trump supporters. Uh, but I was, I was raised very conservative. And on election night, they were all freaking out. Like, this is, this is going to be the end of the world. You don't have any idea. You don't understand what you're talking about. And I was like, I, I don't think you, you get it. And, you know, we're in the middle of Kansas. So we go outside and... Um, Trump has won the states. So there's fireworks going off, and I sit out and watch the fireworks. Um, but the next morning, I go back to debate practice and get into a huge argument with my coach. End up storming out, um, and he's telling me more of the same thing. Like people are going to die because of this. He's going to try to um, take away people's health care. This wall thing isn't a joke. It's actually going to happen. And I'm like, oh, this this is not a thing. Um, but in the years since, I, I look back and realize that all of those people were 100% right and, and then some. Um, you know, I can, 
I, I feel sorry for, um, you know, people that are still supporting Trump and still caught up in that. But um, I, I don't even know how I was able to support him back then. Um, yeah, I should I should say, too, just so like Luke's not the only one. Like, I was also pretty conservative. It was literally like maybe like six months before the election that I really started to research politics more because like. I was also kind of raised, not by my parents, but just by the circles that I was in, like, with my education. Like, I literally went to Liberty University for my high school. And um, so I was kind of raised with the viewpoint that there was only one way to vote and there was only one political perspective from a Christian worldview. So I I also really didn't have, like, a lot of outside perspectives until I met a couple friends at my church who thought differently and as soon as I started to like interrogate it a little bit more, I pretty quickly changed my opinion. And so when I voted when I was 18, I was like, I love Hillary, you know, Hillary's the best girl power. And I, I, since I've decided I do not love Hillary, I don't, (laughs) I don't love a lot of people in politics. So like, I'm just a lot more skeptical in general since then. But yeah, it's like, it's hard when you grow up not being around a lot of different perspectives like you don't you don't even think there is another option like I don't know it's just it's hard to explain until you get out of it basically but I just like I grew up in the church and like I I'm thankful that my parents um were generally liberal I mean I'm definitely more liberal than both of my parents but um I was quite disappointed because I remember the week before going to church and I love church, but I was just so disappointed when the pastor got up in front of the whole church and he was like, we have to vote for what is right. What is godly? And he was like insinuating that it was Trump, like Trump was godly. And I was just so hurt. Like this man doesn't even like half the population he doesn't like women he doesn't like minorities he doesn't like people who are part of the lgbtq community like i was just so hurt and i was just like this doesn't even make sense um but i was just i was just very confused when they when um he said that and everyone was like yeah around me and i was sitting like is anyone else hearing what i'm hearing they're clapping for taking other people's rights. Yeah. No. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's hard. I feel like in churches, a lot of pastors should just avoid it altogether. Because, like, you don't know where the people in your pews are at. And, yeah, it's it's been very clumsily handled by a lot of people to a lot of congregations' detriment, I think. But... This is also a really good segue into the important slash anxiety slash responsibility of voting. Um, so, like, yeah, the, yeah, you know, we should all vote. Like, we all did vote, I think. So, like, we we did. you think you I, know we, I, I know all, we voted. all voted, yeah. But there is a Zadie Smith quote that applied because I have a Zadie Smith quote for everything. Of course. She said, paranoia about action and the motivations for action is the sickly indulgence of intellectuals and philosophers. And that like that really spoke to me because I was definitely tempted to be like, I don't like Biden. I'm not going to be complicit in voting for him. And I really did struggle because like I don't like Biden. Like I really, 
really don't like Brian, <laughs> but also is so, the lesser of two evils, and that was that was pretty much it. So I couldn't just be paranoid about. I mean, I guess we can all be paranoid. We should be paranoid because things keep getting worse. But like, <laughs> you have to still act, even though the decisions are hard. And I remember this is like a little off topic, but we talked about this a little bit the other day, Kaylee. Um, about how like during the 2016 election like I wasn't old enough to vote at the time so I like asked one of my teachers like hey like if you don't mind me asking like who are you voting for and this man said like he was like really young like a really young teacher and he said like oh like I'm not voting and I was like is there like any particular reason why like I'm just curious and he was like oh like I just don't like any of the candidates and I was just like I probably shouldn't have said this, or maybe I probably should have, but I remember saying, I was like, that's because, I mean, looking back now, I was like, I had no filter, and I was like, sir, like, Mr. So-and-so, I was like, that's because you have privilege, and because no matter who wins, you will still have your rights. Um, and- <laughs> that's probably it. The teacher probably had to tell you that. I was sitting there, and, he, and I was just like looking at him dead in the eye when I said that. And I can't even remember if he even responded. I was like, must be nice. <laughs> the teacher probably had to tell you that to save his job. Uh, I, I worked in a high school for a while as a debate coach. And they told us when it comes to politics, we can't give a, a kid any indication either way. Um, so he's probably doing that just to be like, I, I don't want to get into a discussion about politics with you. I am voting for nobody. Please leave me alone. But I much would have rather had him say, like, hey, like, we can't talk about this because I had asked. Yeah. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? For sure, for sure. I think he really didn't vote. Like, if it was, if you weren't voting, you would have just said, hey. I mean, like, if you weren't, like, voting for someone, like, you would have said, like, hey, like, I'm voting, but I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for because of this, this, and this. You know what I right. mean? But I'm not allowed to talk about it. Because not voting is also a political stance. And him saying, I don't like any of the candidates is also disclosing something but yeah I definitely feel that as well because we had a whole my employer is like is a government organization so they're like we're non-political but like they're low-key pretty political like in in a lot of the things that they do and um so like they basically had a session where they you know were strongly insinuating who we should vote for but like they they didn't say that specifically and they were also saying we shouldn't say anything in our classrooms which makes a lot of sense but it's really hard not to like smile and laugh when all of your sixth grade students are like get trump out trump needs to go and they're getting all excited in class and you're wanting to hype them up too and like you know get excited but you can't say anything and you're trying to be stoic so like i understand the like you've got to keep your keep your opinions to yourself but um yeah yeah it's it's not easy especially in the classroom because like it could be a really good opportunity to a really good opportunity to talk about the election and about like civics and government but you you just can't because it it gets too too close to home um but yeah and and also like with your teacher like that whole position of of not voting based off of not wanting to like vote for someone you don't agree with. I was thinking about this the other day. I can't think of like a single president in history that I agreed with completely. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it is really just like, I don't care enough to do enough research to see who I agree with the most. 
um, in every area. And they've said something I don't like, so I'm just going to write them off type thing. And, like, like you're never going to have a president who agrees with you completely. So you have to kind of do your research and <laughs> figure out who you agree with the most. Mm-hmm. So, Kaylee, did you want to give, like, a little bit of background on, like, some of the barriers that, like, many minorities have faced throughout the history of our country? Um, And it's just so ironic because, you know, this whole thing was based on freedom. But then, like, the only people who were free were white people. Like, there were so many restrictions and still are many barriers. Um, It's just so ironic. I just, like. Oh my gosh. But are you ready, Kaylee? Yeah, I, we can move this segment four in a second. Were you going to say something, Luke? Oh, yeah, I was going to say something very contrarian. Um, but um, I think there is a time when not voting can be politically useful um, in that it can be a, a revolutionary statement, like sort of a, a not voting as a referendum on the system with an eye towards change. I don't think the majority of people that actually like don't vote, don't vote for this reason, but I'm reminded of what um, Zizek says about casting a blank ballot in an election. So the system doesn't know what to do with it. And he's got this like long drawn out story about uh, imagine if a country had an election and then they got the results back and 75% of the people in the country just did not vote. And they're like, well, this is is messed up. Only 25% of the people voted. Let's try this again. They have the election again. Uh, 90% 90% of the people don't vote. And they're like, what's going on? And then it comes out that neither of the candidates are representative of the people. The majority of people are ticked off with the the ruling class, whoever's running things, whoever's in charge. Um, And I think in those type of instances, you know, not voting is not a, a like a choice that comes about through privilege. It's Politics for me is something that doesn't work in a particular way, and I want to effectuate change differently than this system because the system itself is broken. Um, and so I, I think that there are like potential examples of not voting that could be politically useful, but unfortunately, like we don't have that type of culture in the United States where people will say, I am abstaining, I want radical change that these people aren't um, actually going to carry out and I'm going to work to make sure that change comes about. And I think if we could cultivate that type of ideology, uh, you know, not voting could be something more, I I don't want to say progressive, um, but maybe like helpful. Um, But again, you know, with the example of like that teacher you gave the majority of people, it's, I didn't research, I don't care. um, I, I don't want to make a decision for whatever reason. Um, And I don't know. There's there's definitely that other side to not voting where it's like, no, this is my revolutionary act. Nice. As soon as you said Zizek, I was like hoping for the Bartleby comparison, but that's for something else, isn't it? That's more for consumerism. Or does he make that same comparison there? No, I mean, his his uh, cast a blank ballot line also goes into the like, I, I would just prefer, say prefer not to the system can't say say that I prefer not to the system can't. Um, use that in order to continue itself forward. Um, so there are comparisons, but yeah, that that metaphor is mostly focused on consumerism. Okay, nice. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, and and my dad kind of does something similar. Like he he does write-ins a lot, and like I think for a couple years he was writing in Condoleezza Rice, even though she wasn't running. Um, but like it's that same level of like I don't agree with any of the candidates, so I'm gonna do something else that doesn't really fit a lot of traditional politics. But yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for not voting. Um, but like the primary one that I hear, especially from people our age, it seems like is that they haven't done their research or they just like, they don't know. And, and I feel like memes aren't research and a lot of people consume a lot of memes, but don't actually look into what the policies are and what like actual statements by the candidates are. And so that creates a lot of misinformation and, and like, I mean, I kind of understand it because you have a lot of inherent biases created by the internet already. And so countering that with like what candidates actually say and like weighing what they actually say to try to figure out what the truth is like that, that is a lot of work, you know, and a lot of people are just like, I have my own life to think about, but yeah. Anyway, um, Ariana, did you have anything else to say on that before we move into segment four? No, I don't think so. All right. Cool. Um, so a history of current and of, sorry, just a history of barriers to voting in four moves. Um, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of steps I missed, but these are kind of like a few key moments in our country's history that opened up voting rights. Um, so in 1776, you know, our country was founded, all that jazz. Um, the only people who could vote were white landowning men that were 21 or older. So it really did sort of resemble that Greek polis that Hannah Arendt talks about where, you know, the concept of equality, um, like was very separate from the private life because like there were women and minorities and, and like slaves who kind of carried that sense of privacy. And so the political realm could be theirs for equality and for them to engage in. And the personal wasn't political because it, it really didn't like, it didn't affect people's private lives to the same extent that it does today. Um, So in 1776, white landowning men aged 21 or older, 1870, so 100 years later almost, um, there were racial barriers removed, but indigenous Americans still couldn't vote. And poll taxes had literacy tests, and there was a lot of fraud used to intimidate voters of color. Um, I remember, I think this was in the Selma movie, but I'm not sure but like this is definitely historically accurate they showed this scene of um a black woman who went to vote and one of the tests was she had to list like every um judge in the state and so they asked her like how many um how many like circuit court judges are there in the state of louisiana and she had to say the number and then she and they said name them and she obviously couldn't because like who memorizes that um but like there would just be ridiculous questions like that like questions that no reasonable person would have memorized and and they would come up with anything to not let people vote and yeah just anyway oh ariana wants to tell the story about robert smith please tell this story it's so wholesome so Kaylee and I both I, before the po- we were recording the podcast I was like oh my gosh like I read this sweet little article and she's like oh my god I read it too so it was an article off of um, CNN 
And the title of it is, if you, I mean, if you want to read it, is a 99-year-old man who was mm-hmm. born to a sharecropper on a Louisiana plantation felt proud as he casted his ballot. And the man's name is Robert H. Smith, and he's 99 years old, and he is a U.S. Army veteran, and he was um, the son of a sharecropper, and he was talking about how um, he faced, like, voter discrimination and how even when he turned 20, um, 21, uh, in 1942, he wasn't, you know, able to vote. Um, and it was mentioned that, like, he was only able to um, cast his ballot after he got he had gotten back from the war, which was um, after 1946. And I think people forget that, like, this is not this is not long ago. This is literally like a few years ago that the fact that people were that um black people were not able to vote um and it's just like this man's only a few years older than my grandparents and the photos on this uh this uh article are just so cute of this man voting with his i voted sticker um and he was just talking about how much this election meant to him um and how far we as um people have come mm-hmm. so uh, it's and he was just talking about like the article. I mean, you should definitely go read the article. But what it was talking about was pretty much um, what it was like growing up in that small Louisiana town. Um, but it's awesome because he um, after he got back from the war, he finished his bachelor's degree and ended up becoming um, a, a teacher. And it says here that he was a professor um, at Florida A and M University, which is in Tallahassee. And I just think that's amazing. Um, it's a very inspirational story. So overall, I just recommend to go read it. And yeah. Yeah. A long life. That's awesome. And yeah. yeah. Also, just like, he was so cute. Like, he's in line with his face mask and just like, I just love his suit and tie. Yes. Like, ugh. But, yeah. I just, I love old people who just yeah anyway and he lived to 99 like can you just imagine like putting up with this nonsense for 99 years like crazy yeah oh my god okay mm-hmm. all right i'm still not over oh that, so like... <laughs> and like they have the photos side by side and like his uniform and his suit and like oh my gosh like i just it just makes me so happy that he was able to vote in this election today. Um, and I mean, yeah. What about, um, I think that was our inspirational moment today. Yeah, honestly. And like, <laughs> don't let anything get in your way of voting. And how we were just talking about how like four years has changed for us so much. Like, um, I mean, it sounds like for, for you two, it hasn't been quite as much like increasing skepticism like I feel like I've grown a lot more jaded and like less like I have way less faith in democracy or anything since 2016 and um that was only like that was my first election I already lost a lot of faith that's kind of sad I guess when I think about it but like he just gives me so much hope because it's like he's he's seen so many elections and you just got to think how many ups and downs he's probably gone through personally of like this person doesn't represent my interests. This person doesn't represent my interests. Mm-hmm. This person doesn't represent my interests. And, like, he still is getting out there and, and, you know, 
at a time when like you can retire and no one would blame you you know like no one would blame you for not wanting to go vote especially with covid and everything i just think that's really brave and admirable um but yeah all right so the next one is in 1920 obviously women get the right to vote but again that was pretty restricted to white women because there were still a lot of barriers to voting for people of color um and there was like we were talking about this in my jobs training the other day there's a lot of backlash to every civil rights movement so there was a lot of like like feminist energy in the 20s and 30s and then there was this huge backlash in the 50s and um it it was kind of like it's kind of sad because there's obviously all this like effort towards bringing women into the workplace and being kind of like um like more self-determined and like you can see it in a lot of the literature that was coming out in a lot of the newspapers in the 30s there were more female heroines and there were more like like stories where women didn't necessarily like get a husband but they had like really fulfilling careers or achieved their own goals and then in the 50s it started to just become this like consumeristic like housewife narrative and Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) One, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but there was, um, I read this article the other day. It was from the Library of Congress. And I just think, like, our public school system misses out on so much history. Like, a lot of the stuff that I know is because I read it myself, not because I learned it in my history classes. Um, But one thing was um, the Schneider Act of 1924 that, like, many Native Americans uh, faced discrimination on obtaining full u.s citizenship like Mm. this you literally stole their land what do you mean like this is their country and how are you gonna say they're not a citizen but anyway this act um was in 1924 and it said that um native americans who were um born in the u.s would um get citizenship and like they even they even um faced a discrimination in the form of like literacy tests and things like that um, let me see. It says it really says like Maine was one of the last states to comply with the Indian Citizenship Act, even though it had granted tax-paying Native Americans to the right to vote in its original 1819 state constitution. Like it's just so crazy, like how many hoops people have to jump through to get the right to vote. And people are like, oh, my vote doesn't count. Like if your vote didn't count, then they wouldn't put up all these restrictions to, to stop you from voting and voicing your opinion. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But I could forward the article to you guys later. It was very interesting. I don't mean to... I was just going to move on to the next point. I was just going to say, I don't mean to steal anybody's thunder, but um, with the uh, uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act um, is really when a lot of um, minority voting rights were really expanded. Um one of the things I did when I was prepping for this is I looked through um, when Asian and Latino voters um, got the right to vote um, and language minorities got the right to vote. And really the 1964-65 when they actually like ex- uh, suspended a lot of these liter- literacy tests um, was the time when like voting rights got expanded. So I wouldn't be too surprised. And I, I don't know about this uh, Schneider Act, but I wouldn't be too surprised if it wasn't until like 1964 or 65 that things like really started to change 
Yeah, I was just going to say I saw you adding to the outline, so you should do that point. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that there were also, like, that, I mean, I guess that makes sense, that that would apply to citizens who didn't speak English, that once the literacy tests were suspended, that would allow them a lot more access. Um, but, like, when you were looking it up, did it say that, like, that they offered voting options in different languages, too, or was that not in the 1960s? It was in theory, um, but no, it, it was still all in English. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, but all right, so that brings us to current barriers for voting. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's obviously a lot this year, the main barrier being COVID related. And, like, there are a lot of at-risk demographics, like the elderly, like that 99-year-old man who um, wore a face mask to go vote. But then there's also, like, there have been several groups that have been threatening voters as well. There was the footage from Lapeer County on the news, and, or I'm sorry, Macomb County, and there were, there was, like, a huge rally of both Biden and Trump supporters, actually, and they were both, like, intimidating voters from both sides, mm. and they were screaming at each other. Like, I literally saw this one woman rip a man's face mask off his face on the <gasps> news. Oh, wow. Like, this is funnier if you know Macomb County. <laughs> it, it's just... Like, Ariana, you know Macomb County, right? Like, you know, what's it yes. describe? It's like the West Virginia of Michigan, I feel like. Oh. It's like... <laughs> 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 but, yeah, it it was a brawl. Like, it was a full-on brawl. Like, there were, like, people in their 50s and 60s just, like, screaming at each other on the news. But, um, so, yeah, there's some very real barriers to voting. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I just can't even imagine that like I'm never going to get out of my go out of my way to go get in someone's face and yell at them like come on it's just a lot of effort like, yeah mm. I'm screaming but we know from April and June that like Michiganders will get in your face because they definitely did it at the Capitol a couple times I'll say it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Michigan is the Florida of the North. Like, <laughs> people don't care. That's in line with what my grandparents say about Florida. There's like, there's so many Michigan transplants here. So, it makes perfect sense. That's where all the old people go to uh, retire and sunbathe. Yeah. It, it's nuts. People will only go to Florida. Like, you talk to Michiganders, and like, they either vacation up north which is like which we're already up north but they go further north or they go down to florida and that's it like i don't know why florida was like the state that was chosen to be the vacation spot and the thing is they road trip too they love they love a good road trip i'm like oh my god yeah start counting 20 hours no um all right segment that i've been looking forward to this whole session it was blank for me. Um, I think you should go first. I really do. Okay. This is a long mouthful. But for me, 
It was the complete exploitation of the evangelical community by speaking at Christian universities, equating faith with nationalism and racism, all while having a chauvinist rapist past and turning the U.S. military on its own citizens, which if it, that had happened in the Middle East, we would have invaded. Um, yeah, just just that. Just the hypocrisy of everything. Like, you're going to be a nationalist and a racist. Obviously, I don't agree. Obviously, that's not fine. But, like, really, you're going to equate that with Jesus Christ, a, a Middle Eastern homeless man who <laughs> loved the poor and <laughs> said, welcome your neighbor. I just, like, I don't know. This, this isn't the religion for you, sir, if you want to, like, if, if you want to make people racist. Like, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know what religion would let you do that. But, like, you should go look somewhere else. But... Anyway, that's what I have to say. Ariana, what was it for you? <laughs> I completely agree with what you just said. But I said, it was the blatant racism, homophobia, and transphobia for me. I said, it is also the evil and delusional, uh, the delusion that this man has done a good job for me. Like, I, I, <laughs> this man has been impeached. And, like, people are, like, forgetting that. I just, like... It was when he said he's done more for black people than anyone else in the history. The racism, the homophobia, the transphobia, like, no, nope, no. And there's so many more things, but we'd be here all night. So. Uh, I can't Luke. remember everything, honestly. No, like, I would. Go ahead, Gilly. All right, your turn, Luke. What was it for you? Uh, no, I was just going to say, I, I agree with everything that y'all have said. Um, like, the conflation, the conflagration of politics and religion has been a, a terrible thing. Um, the the um, blatant racism and race baiting that Trump's gauged in several times over. Um, you know the the classics are the um, there were good people on both sides moment. Um, <laughs> no, I thought you were about to say something. No, but the the other one is like in the debates a couple of weeks ago, like. He's asked the easiest, like, softball question ever, just like, will you denounce white supremacy? And he just punts on it. Like, the the literal floor of what, what could you do, like, and you won't even do it. Um, and then the sort of the big thing for me um, has been everything that he's done with immigration. Um, you know, I, I go to a very international church here in Iowa City. Uh, I know people from literally all over the world. The church has made, has a congregation that speaks Korean. They have a congregation that speaks Russian. There's people from Nigeria in the church. Um, there's people from China in the church and just seen a lot of firsthand how, um, you know, the tensions have been hard on people um, that have been created by the Trump administration. And it's not even to talk about, you know, the, the child separation policy at the border, um, the, uh, wait in a third country uh, policy that hadn't been done before, and then the attempt to like exclude um, DACA kids from having the ability to gain citizenship. Um, you know, all all of those things combined really were what were like the final nail in the coffin for me. Yeah, there's there's a lot to choose from. Like, <laughs> it's hard to pick. Um, yeah. Wait, I wanted to say one more thing. It is also the way that the Ku Klux Klan has endorsed this man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, what? It, 
it's like, and y'all still are voting for this man? Like, oh my gosh. It, it's like insane. It, it, like, you're, have you seen Kimmy Schmidt, Ariel? The, of course I've seen Kimmy Schmidt. This, the court scene where the man is like defending the <laughs> fact that he kidnapped three women and kept them in a basement. And he's like, you know, we all make mistakes. Like, sometimes I accidentally keep women a little too long. And they might say that they don't want to stay, but I'm just really hospitable. And he's, like, walking around, like, putting his shoes on the, like, desk of the judge. And the judge is just kind of, like, nodding, like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, that's how I felt, like, the last four years have been. Like, people are like, yeah, you know, he's a rapist. He's a racist. He has no relevant experience. Um, He's been flagrantly using his position to benefit his own businesses that he owns. He's not even trying to hide that. He hasn't paid taxes. Um, like, and people are just like, ah, well, but he loves America. And I'm like, uh-huh. what? Obviously he doesn't. He only loves himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, loving America is like, just like saying like, you know, it's like when you hear a girl be like, you know, like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's got a little problem with heroin. Like, he sleeps with other people. He, like, never calls his parents. But, like, he loves me. And you're like, okay, but, like, it sounds like sort of an empty word when you're, like, mm. when he's sort of this destruction on your life. Like, that, that's sort of how it feels with um, the president of the United States. <laughs> it's like the, the Black Knight and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, we get... All of his limbs cut off and he's still trying to fight like oh, it's just a scratch um like that's the the trump supporter narrative it's like yeah i mean you know he does he did this and this and this and this but like he's he's still the president and it, it none of it makes sense right yeah yeah exactly america's a armless legless corpse by now like we need to get out while we can um but yeah all right. Well, this was fun. I didn't have anything after segment five, and we're already getting close to an hour. And Ariana guessed this was going to be thirty minutes, and I, I was predicted wrong. it was. Gonna be that, but um, yeah. No, I had a good time. This was great. Yeah, really Thank good. you, Luke, for joining us and voicing um, your opinions. Sure. This was great. Uh, I mean, it was also very interesting to hear your side, like where you were growing up and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Peace. Signing off. Yep.